so great to be with you. Uh, we are continuing our Proverbs series. So excited about that. Before we do that, can we just take a moment of silence for Scotland? Can we do that? Just um, bow your heads. Just feel, feel bad for them. And feel happy for South Africa. What a, what, a great, what a great moment. God is with us, it turns out, in many different ways. But we, um, here, here we are talking about the book of Proverbs. And we are um, journeying through it. We are looking at the themes in the book of Proverbs. I don't think I've said this, but Proverbs is one of the books of wisdom. It's a wisdom book in the Bible. And what that means is what is written down there are sages that, that took time to write down the wisest way to live. And it's advice to the coming generation. It's parents sitting down with their children saying, this is the wise way to live. The interesting thing about wisdom literature is that it's not law. And so what that means is it's not a, because you do this, you will get that, which is the law. That this happens, therefore this is the consequence. Wisdom literature is a little bit different, or wisdom writings are a little bit different. What, what they're saying in wisdom is, if you live like this, in general, this is what will happen. And if you consistently pursue this course of action, then you will see persistently this result. So what it's saying to you is that this is not just a once-off thing. This is, this is taking these, this wisdom and making it a part of a lifestyle so that as a response, there will be this natural kind of outworking of an atmosphere around you that will produce this good stuff that will come back to you. So Father, I want to pray for each person here today that that, Father God, as we engage once more in the wisdom of the Bible, Lord God, that you would speak to us. Each person here, I pray that we would leave here wiser, more understanding of your ways, more, more deeply entrenched in your wisdom, Lord God. Father God, I thank you that you're faithful, and you, you desire for us to understand you far more than we ever desire it. And Lord God, I pray that would become a deeply rooted revelation in our hearts, that you are for us that you are for us, that you are for us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So I'm going to be talking, welcome. Welcome to everyone who's online. Welcome to all of you here. Welcome to everyone who's outside. We're so, we're so happy to see you. We can see you vaguely through the blinds. Very happy to see you. Thank you for that wave, Claudia. I see you. Um, but it's so, so great to have all of you here. And thank you for journeying with us through Proverbs. I hope you're reading a chapter a day, as we said, that would help you get through Proverbs twice before we finish this um, sermon series. So I hope you're doing that and, and gleaning from the great wisdom of God. Um, today I'm going to be talking about an unusual topic. I'm going to be talking about anger. Can you all turn to your neighbor and just like glare at them? <laughs> you, know, you know, anger... A a anger can make you brave. Have you ever noticed that? You're watching Liverpool versus Manchester City, and Liverpool scores, and you know Manchester City is the better team, so you stand up all angry, and you, I mean, you tell that ref. You know, you tell those players. I mean, bravery just rises up you in, in, instantly. Perhaps you were watching the Scotland, the Scotland-South Africa game, and you know that, that penalty that went against us. You know, you're as like, ah! You know, that anger can make you brave. On a more serious note. On a more serious note, I just, I just thought maybe that you were all feeling, you'd all felt that anger recently. But on a more serious note, more serious note, you know, I was, I was talking to a friend 
um, a little while ago, and she was telling me about how she had grown up with a, an abusive father. And she told me how that at some stage the anger rose up in her heart, and she was able, she was able to step into a situation and defend her sister. And you know, I thought, I thought about it, how, how sometimes there's a motivation that comes through anger that's a positive thing, that, that, really, that really enables you to rise up above the natural kind of inclination to just step back and do nothing and step in, in, the, in front of injustice and say, no, you can't, it can't come here. So, such a righteous use of anger. On the other hand, you know, anger can make us foolish. You, are, you, you know, you know that. You, I bet you there's not a person here that hasn't regret, regretted some words that have been spoken in anger or regretted some actions that have been done in anger and have, have looked at broken um, possessions or broken relationships after that outburst and wished, oh my gosh, I wish I hadn't done that. Yeah. Anger can make you foolish. I remember one time I... For, for sake of my own reputation, I'm going to put it like this. I took my cell phone in anger and I put it down kind of roughly and a bit carelessly on a smooth surface. And because of the way I put it down, it skidded across the smooth surface, off the edge on the other side, to the floor, and the screen broke into a thousand little pieces. I regret that deeply. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Not only for that, but for all other times that I've allowed, my, I've allowed my emotions to overwhelm my wisdom. And you know, so anger can be a very positive thing, but anger can also be something that gets us into trouble. And I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about righteous anger. I want to talk about foolish anger. And I want to talk about resolving anger. Why is this important to you? It's because relationship is important to God. It's important to the kingdom. How we integrate in community makes for a successful or an unsuccessful life. And therefore, how we manage our emotions, anger being a primary one, is vital for how we succeed in life. And you know, there's, there's a problem in society today because often when we look at anger, we either tell someone they're not allowed to be anger, angry, and so what happens is they just push down that anger, they never speak it, but it bubbles up in other ways and comes out in these irrational outbursts or the, the finger pointing at the taxi driver or the speeding through the red light when it shouldn't be or just shouting at someone who's innocent, you know what I mean? It's just, it just comes out in places. It comes out in your health. You know, it works its way out into stress-related diseases because no one taught us how to manage our anger. At the same time, often, we're not angry when we should be angry. We passively sometimes let stuff happen that we shouldn't be letting happen. So it's, it's very important that we learn how to have a healthy view of anger. On the other side, you know, you've met that person who's just angry all the time. It's just a bah at you every time. You know, little things happen, it's just angry, angry, angry. And God at the same time is saying, there's a better way. There's a better way. So we want to look at righteous anger, we want to look at foolish anger, but we also want to look at resolving anger. So let's... Let's take a look at righteous anger. All 
Oh, we, oh sorry, we're first going to look at the Bible. How's that? <laughs> Let's start there. <laughs> Let's look at the Bible. So I've just taken a few verses out of Proverbs because Proverbs actually talks about anger quite a lot. It mentions this anger, wrath, hot-temperedness, quick-temperedness a lot in Proverbs. And so I've, I've just taken a sampling of them that kind of give us a representation of what Proverbs has to say about anger. So it's verse 29, 32, 18, 19, 24, 22, and 33. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Anybody know a person like that? Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. For pressing curds produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing of anger produces strife. I love that one. It's like if you, if you <laughs> press an angry person, it's like a blood nose, you know, just <laughs> stuff comes out. Anger. So let's look out of that at some righteous anger. God exhibits perfect anger. You have heard it, you know, you've heard in some places God displayed at this, as this angry God. In fact, there's this really famous sermon that sparked a wide-scale revival. The one, a great awakening it was actually called. It was such an enormous revival. And it was by a name, a man called Jonathan Edwards, and he wrote, he shared the sermon, um, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He really got their attention right there. But, but nonetheless, what we are not portraying is a God that's that all-out anger just all the time, bah, 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 or the, the God with the repressed anger that's like snapping irrationally at things. When we talk about God's anger, it's not that anger. But nonetheless, the Bible is clear that God is angry, that God exhibits anger at particular times. So let's talk about how God exhibits perfect anger because we can learn something about that. As image carriers of his presence, we can learn how to, how to watch his anger and see what is appropriate anger as we live out our lives successfully. Anger, this is a theological statement about um, anger. Anger is the permanent attitude of God toward evil, toward evil, sin, and injustice. Just as love is the permanent attitude of God towards his creation, and more specifically, you. So here is the thing, is that love, God is love, but if love is not angry at that which hurts the object of its love, then there's a problem. How many of you would think a father were loving if he allowed his child to be abused? Not one of you would think that. Love demands anger at whatever hurts the object of your love. Without anger, love is impotent. Without anger, love is just one of those fancy little gifts that comes up on your phone, you know, with a fling of flowers, the guy moving, giving you flowers. You know, it's, it's, it's like, it, it means nothing. 
It's just a sentimental emoji. Love without anger is impotent. And we need an angry God because there's stuff that's hurting us. There's stuff that's hurting the world. We need a God who's going to step between us and injustice and say, step back. This is my creation. You may not be here. So to try and portray God as not angry would violate his love. But here's the thing. His first and foremost attitude towards you is love. But that means that there is going to be anger towards anything that comes to destroy you, to harm you, to deceive you, to capture you, to take you away from his love. Now, of course, the problem, I'm sure you, you're thinking of a problem. If you're a normal human being, you're thinking of a problem right now. Is that what happens when the thing he loves, evil is found there? What happens when evil is found in humanity? It's a problem. Because now we're both the, the object of God's love and the object of his anger. Now, now there's a problem. There's a problem. God is so wise. God is so wise. God, God, from the beginning of time, thought through all these permutations. He was not taken by surprise. He has a plan, and that plan is Jesus. That plan is Jesus. Is that through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, we can find a refuge from God's wrath. We can find a way for the evil and the sin and the injustice in our own hearts to be washed away. So that we simply can return to the place of being objects of God's love and God's love only. That's who Jesus is. He is the great redeemer that stood in the, in the front of God's wrath and said, No, I'll clean this one. I'll take your wrath and I will give them my righteousness. You see, the Bible talks about a day of wrath that is coming. It's not a season of wrath. It's a day. There is a day when God will finally say, okay, we've worked out all this history, but now my anger is coming against everything that has worked against my purposes, against my ways. There will come a day of wrath. And in that, that day, the only question be, that I'm going to ask you is, where will you be hidden? Where will you be hidden? Will you be hidden in Christ? Yes, you will. <laughs> yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> if you don't know if you will, just come speak to me. We'll make sure you know how to be hidden in Christ. Or will you be hidden in the flimsy, flimsy paper framework with your own efforts, with a giant sign above it that says, I did it my way. It's coming. The Bible is absolutely clear of that. You see, between now and then, however, praise the Lord, God is, God is relating to his creation 
or his anger is buffet, buffeted, buffered, buffered, buffered by his mercy. By his mercy. But here's the thing. Those who take his mercy for granted by saying that this is, this is the permanent way that God will relate to me, or this, or this is the only way that God will relate to me, and therefore it doesn't matter how I live, that's going to be a problem. Because God, God is always all of who he is, and his love demands anger. So if this leaves you quaking in your boots, just remember Jesus. This is why we run to Jesus. Because the truth is, sin, injustice, evil has been found in us. But we have a Savior. We have a Savior. That's why the Bible talks about how we've been saved from sin. You know, often we don't understand that because we, we don't have a clear understanding of what sin is. But sin is anything that separates you from the presence of God. Anything that is, anything other than who God is. And so, so we have this, this giant savior who rescues us from our own sin and therefore for the, from the consequence of them, which is the anger and the wrath of God. I, I want to jump, jump back one slide, if I may. Thank you, Jackson. In Exodus 34, there's this very famous passage where, where Moses and God are interacting. It's about the time that he gets the law and write, has them written on the, the tablets, etc. But God comes and reveals himself in a very powerful way to Moses. And he, he declares his nature to Moses. Interestingly enough, the same passage is repeated so often through the Bible, at least seven times in the Old Testament, or at least alluded to in the Old Testament. It's like God's quintessential statement about his nature. And it goes like this, starting from verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God of God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Isn't that amazing? You can see his love just manifested there. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Can you see that? Can you see his love? But at the same time, in order for his love to be his love, there must be something that comes against everything that destroys the ones he loves. I want you to note a phrase there. It says that God, it doesn't say that God has no anger, but he says he is slow to anger. You see, this is what righteous anger looks like. It doesn't mean that it's not there, but it means that it doesn't blow up in an instant, that it's patient, that it's, that it's constantly working towards the redemption of the individuals, of the nations, of the situation, that it is slow to build up. And there's, there's a, a huge amount of time where we can appeal to God's mercy, when we can appeal to his grace, where we can fall before him and say, God, change me. Because God is slow to anger. And that gives us a clue about right, what righteous anger looks like in our lives. You see, righteous anger in our lives is not no anger. Righteous anger in our, in our lives is slow anger. It's an anger that is patient. 
that walks with people, that walks with situations, but it's anger that, that at the same time is saying no consistently to injustice and righteousness. You see, anger with no cause is sin. But at the same time, no anger when there is a cause is also sin. If you enjoyed that statement, I didn't, I didn't first invent it. It came from a very famous ancient church father by the name of Chrysostom. I think I pronounced his name right, but I don't think he minds right now. But anger with no cause is sin. But no anger when there is a cause is also sin. So what does this speak to us? It speaks to us that, that as Christians, to not be angry at injustice is a problem. To not feel something rise up in your heart when you hear about gender-based violence is a problem. To not feel something rise up in your heart when you hear of acts of racism is a problem. Yeah. To have nothing rise up in your heart when you hear about child abuse, corruption, it's a problem. And God wants to come and heal our hearts so that we can be angry at the right things. I absolutely love this picture of Jesus. You know, Jesus perfectly exhibited the nature of God and he exhibited infinite love at the same time, at moments, he exhibited anger. He was angry at the Pharisees when they were trying to keep people away from his kingdom. He was, he was angry at the money changers in the table and turned over their tables and, uh, you know, really made a stand against the corruption that was exhibited there. But in John 11, 33, there's a, there's a beautiful verse. We often miss it because we don't really know the, the meaning behind the words. But I'm going to tell you so that you can grasp it. But it's... It's a story of when Jesus goes to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he's met by Mary. And Mary is weeping over the loss of her brother. And then he looks around and he sees the whole company of people weeping over the loss of Lazarus. And the Bible says when Jesus saw that, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The words deeply moved literally in the original language mean bellows of anger. In other words, when he saw the pain that sin and death was causing to the people he loved, anger rose up in him. It was like bellows coming out of him. This cannot be. Whatever we have to do to stop this must be done. I, I believe it was some of the motivation that enabled him to go to the cross and, and push through the, the, the hardship and the difficulty that he faced there. Because there was something that rose up. This cannot be anymore. Whatever I have to do to stop it, I will do it. Yeah. And you know what? That's, that's one of the greatest motivations or the greatest good of righteous anger is that it gets us off our seats. Yeah. That it's a thing that gets us out to Zanspreit to say no more. What we can do, we will do. Poverty must fall before the face of the living God. It what gets us as a church community to adopt children that have no parents. Why? Because we, with the anger against unrighteousness, 
the anger against injustice rises up and say, no more, and I watch, will this happen? It's the reason I personally, and I hope you too, could pray all night for people who are on their beds at their death's, death's door with COVID. It's because there was anger in my heart, not on my watch. Whatever has to happen, I will do it. I will stay awake. I will lose my sleep. I will do whatever has to happen because this cannot be. Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. So let's, let's look at some foolish anger. <laughs> None of you know anything about foolish anger. But ima imagine your neighbor who's foolishly angry all the time. But a man by the name of Augustine, a very also famous early church father, he... he invented this kind of theme of disordered loves. He said an idol is not, it's not a problem because it's a bad thing. Idols are formed when good things become ultimate things. So it's not wrong that you love something, but it's, is the love in the right order? Are you loving ultimate things ultimately and you, are you loving good things well? So for instance, doing well at your job is fantastic. Love your job by all means. Love, love pursuing excess, success. Let, let it be something that you pursue. But don't make it the ultimate thing because it's not the ultimate thing. And when you make your job ultimate, then the things that should be ultimate don't get the space in your heart. Things are disordered. But here's the thing. Remember I said love and anger go together. It's that if your loves are disordered, so your anger will be disordered. This is an important thing to understand. I remember when my children were young. And as children do, they woke up a lot at night. To all your parents who are dedicating children next, in a couple of weeks, be warned, it happens. But... I remember the anger that rose up in the heart the first few times I had to get up to a crying baby. I mean, you're disturbing my sleep. I have a right to sleep eight hours a day and in my own bed comfortable. My, my children didn't know about that right. But you know, when I felt that anger rise up, I had to go before the Lord and say, Lord, order my loves correctly. It's not wrong to love your sleep. It's just wrong to love your sleep more than you love your children. Disordered loves lead to disordered anger. James 1 says this, let every person be quick to hear, slow to anger, slow, slow to speak, sorry, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of, anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Only the anger of God produces the righteousness of God. And so we must have our loves ordered in God's ways so that our anger is appropriate and right and produces the right kind of righteousness. Foolish anger. By the way, foolish anger has two forms. I've alluded to them before. Let me just clarify them again. Foolish anger comes as those wild outbursts at things that inconvenience you. 
it also comes as that simmering under, under the ground anger that, that bursts out at times or just, just kind of invades your consciousness. It's those times you just can't stop thinking about something. It plays in your mind over and over. I, by the time my father-in-law died, had a really great relationship with him. But when I first met him, it was troubled waters. He was a very patriarchal man, and you know that just didn't fit with my worldview. And I just remember the clashes we constantly have. I found myself with the simmering anger in my soul. And I, and I found myself, it's like I couldn't even have fun anymore. Because wherever I was, I was having conversations with my father-in-law in my head. I was telling him what I should have said, you know, the last time I was with him. It was just going through. You know, it's that kind, it's that, those are foolish angers. Foolish anger damages the heart. Believe it or, or not, you are six times more likely to have a heart attack in the two hours after you have a, an anger outburst. Likewise, there's an increased risk of stroke. I think it's three to six times higher after an angry outburst. It weakens your immune system. It worsens anxiety. It's linked to depression. It inflames the lungs. It and COVID. It shortens your life and it harms relationships. So how do we get rid of it? How do we resolve anger correctly? First of all, you own it. You know, so often I've lived my life trying to pretend I'm not angry. You know, so I, even, I even remember one of my children coming to me and saying, why are you so angry, Mom? And I said, no, I'm not angry. And the Holy Spirit said to me, well, then why are you behaving like this? <laughs> so I had, to, I had to go back and say, Actually, the Holy Spirit said to me, you're teaching your children bad discernment. They can see you're angry. You're telling them you're not angry. You're having them doubt their own very obvious discernment. So I had to go back to them and say, yes, I am angry, but I'm going to work on it. So what you have to do is you have to own your anger. Guys, we're all angry from time to time. It's no big, big thing. Honestly, everyone here needs to own some kind of anger. And then you need to find out its source. Where did it come from? What is it? Is it coming from an ordered love? And then it's righteous anger. And then you need to ask yourself, what do I need to do about it? Because the problem, even when you have righteous anger, if you don't act on that anger in an appropriate way, it becomes foolish anger because it starts to eat into your psyche. So when you see injustice or something un unrighteous in your family, the anger that rises up is meant to motivate you to go and talk to someone about it. Let's, let's talk. Let's work this out. Let's think through this. This isn't right. How can we make this better? So find its source. If it's an unordered anger and something just like, just plain old selfishness, then go to the Lord and repent. Get your loves back in order. Say, what is the most important thing for me to love in this situation? And then we need to forgive, confront, or change. There might be some things, times you can do nothing about it. And then you ask for God's grace to help you to forgive and release that person or that situation or even yourself. Yeah. You may need to confront someone or confront a situation. Or you may need 
to change. You may need to just acknowledge there's something wrong in the way I think and love, and I need God's grace to change. I need to talk to someone about it. I need help. I need to walk through this and be a different person. In closing, Ephesians 4 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. All those things I said to you, do them now. Not tomorrow or the next day. Don't let the anger fester in your body because it's killing you. Do something about it now. And I just love this Psalm 46 verse 10. It really helps me when I'm, I'm wrestling with the, with the big issues of life. Things that I can make a small impact in, but I can't really change the whole thing, you know? Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Another translation says, Surrender your anxiety. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Another translation tells you to get out of the traffic. To get out of the traffic and take a good look at God who is above politics and everything. Turn your eyes to the one who has the solutions. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I want to I want to lift up your name. Lord, Lord, we I want to thank you first of all that you are angry. Lord God, thank you that you you hate the things that hurt us. Lord God, I want to thank you for that. And Lord God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that you're not angry at me. You're not angry at the people in this room because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Lord, we're so grateful. And you know, I feel like there are some people in this room that, that in a greater measure, it's just dawned on you what, what Jesus actually did for you. And you want to, you want to just acknowledge that. You want to say, yes, Lord, I, I see that now how you've protected me and guarded me from the consequences of my own foolishness. And I just want to invite you to pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I come to you. Lord, and I acknowledge your righteousness. I want to thank you that you have guarded me from the anger and wrath of God. I surrender myself again to you and I hide myself in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, I'm gonna invite you. There are on the walls, there are some QR codes. If you just go and scan those on your phone, if you can't manage to scan them, just ask at the info desk, they will be able to help you. What that'll do is it'll take you to a WhatsApp link where you can just say, I want, I want to take my next steps in Jesus Christ. I want to acknowledge that God did something in my heart today. And we will help you walk further from that place. But then I'm going to ask us all to stand. And my friends, if you have anger in your heart, can you just give it to him? 
Can you just, it's as simple as that. Lord Jesus, I give you my, I give you my anger. And Lord God, I celebrate, I celebrate your goodness. I celebrate your goodness. Lord God, I pray for everyone here. Bless them in every way. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen and amen.